Good morning. It's great to be back with you. This is my third time back today with you, and it's exciting to share about what God's doing through the rooftop. Um, we were yesterday meeting with our international council, so we had people with us from not just London, we had people in, flying in from Los Angeles and other places, just celebrating what God's doing around the world with this ministry. For those of you that are not familiar with um, the rooftop and who we are, is, as, as Rick shared, we're a, an international ministry, um, something that God birthed in the heart of our founder, Dennis Peathers, a number of years ago, and it's based on Acts 10 when Peter was on the rooftop praying and God um, gave him an, an incredible clear vision and a fresh vision of, of his heart for people that are around us every day who do not yet know Christ. And, and, and at that point, um, nobody was sharing the gospel with the Gentile world, but that day on the rooftop, God broke Peter's heart and Peter left that rooftop and began engaging the world and leading the church to engage the world with the gospel. And so the rooftop was all about helping you, the church, understand how do we get beyond the walls of not just our buildings, but our fears and our traditions and our cultures, and begin building relationships with people around us, engaging them with the gospel, and begin doing what Jesus called us to do, making disciples who make disciples. When this ministry was launched in 2014, which was only five years ago, we launched in four countries. Uh, we just trusted that God was going to do something through this ministry uh, never did we think that five years later we would be sitting here in over 20 countries. Um, with national pioneers, there is an amazing God, doing some amazing things through Africa. We're in 14 African countries right now with 14 African national pioneers. Um, we're going to be in Latin America soon. And so God is just doing some amazing things around the world as we're just helping the church wake up. Um, to the mission that God has given us, this incredible mission. Wake up to who we are in Christ. Wake up to the power of the gospel. Wake up to the power of prayer. And realize that God has called us to join Him in an incredible work of transforming people's lives. Um, to, to let people experience everything we just sang about for the last 30 minutes or so. Just the mercy, the grace, the glory of the gospel and how good God is. And so now most, of our, most people around the country, um, how they come to know us is through what we call the rooftop encounters. Um, those are where we take people in cities onto mountaintops and hilltops and tall buildings, and we just help them begin to look over their city and say, God, what do you see when you look at our city? And if we can't find a high place, we'll take them on a prayer walk, a prayer journey through their city. But just to say, God, show us where you're working so we can join you. And so since I was here last, we've done a number of those. Earlier this year, I was in Washington, D.C., and then a week later, I was in Dallas with a bunch of pastors. Um, Chicago, one of our board, board members, Cheryl Dorsey, led um, our Chicago encounter. This is a third one in Chicago on the Willis Tower, which most people still know as the Sears Tower. And God just moved there mightily. This morning as we are here, our founder, Dennis Peathers, is in Cincinnati. And tonight, he'll be leading the Cincinnati rooftop encounter while he's in the States. Um, because he's from, from London. And then in um, three, about three weeks, two weeks, um, the week of um, September 22nd, it'll be the first time I've ever done three citywide rooftop encounters back-to-back. So be praying for him. I'm going to be traveling and doing a lot of driving throughout Arizona because we're going to start in Tucson on the 24th, and then 25th I'll be in Phoenix, and then the 26th I'll be in Yuma. And uh, we'll be doing three different rooftop encounters, just taking um, pastors and leaders and intercessors, 
Um, and I love it in, in Arizona because we usually go to mountains. We usually go to the top of mountains and look out over the cities and the desert and just say, God, man, do a new work in us and show us what you're doing in our city. You know, so often we, 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 we ask God, you know, most of the time we're saying, God, would you just move? Would you just move? And that's how we pray for our, our communities and our cities, which is the wrong type of praying because the fact is God's already moving. What we need to be praying is, God, show me where you're moving so I can join you. Show me where you're working in my neighborhood so I can join you in what you're doing in the lives of my neighbors. Show me what you're doing where I work so I can join you in what you're doing where I work. So that's what we do in these city encounters. Some of the other things that are happening, just to kind of bring you up to speed, go ahead to the next, um, is our Latino ministry. God is opening up doors across Latin America. I'm starting to work with Latino pastors in Hickory, North Carolina. Um, but in a few months, we're going to be in Panama, um, the Panama, not Panama City, Florida, but Panama City, Panama, having our first Latin American summit. We just did it a few months ago. Now we're going to be with Latin American pastors all across Latin America and Central and South America, meeting together, talking about how we can begin reaching the Latin American world with the gospel. And so we're excited to see what God's doing. One of our um, new um, council members was with us yesterday, um, Esau Canala. So which Esau could be here? As Phil can tell you, he's very shy. <laughs> um, Esau is the most energetic, excited, loves the Lord, loves to talk about Jesus, his family, you know, what God's doing. So we're, we're excited to see what's going to happen. This is a group of pastors I met with recently. We have a guy in Hickory, North Carolina, um, named Miguel, who came to know Christ in Cuba while in prison as a communist atheist and got hold of a, a Gideon New Testament and began reading it. And God just radically changed his life. He ended up getting out of prison. His wife got saved. Um, before coming to the States, they helped plant over 250 churches across Cuba. And, um, and now God sent him to America with that same vision of planting Latino churches all across the United States. And God called him to begin in North Carolina, our state. So it's really cool what God is doing there. Um, some of the things that are happening in the ministry, real quickly before we get into the Word, um, I started about four months ago doing a weekly email blog called Beyond the Walls just to help Christians understand how do we get beyond the walls to begin engaging the people around us. And if you'd like to receive that, um, as you, we go to eat, you'll see a display table set up. You sign up for our, our newsletter that automatically gets you on the same mailing list to get the email Beyond the Walls. Um, one of the things we're really excited about coming up is our rooftop global encounter. God gave us this vision, gave Dennis, our founder, back about four years ago, this, this vision that on, in 2020, on 10-10-2020, which is an easy date to remember, uh, began giving us this vision to say, you know, we'd, wouldn't it be awesome if we had Christians in 100, at least 100 countries on that one day going to mountaintops and hillsides and rooftops and praying over their cities, all on the same day saying, God, do a work in our city, awaken us, show us where you're working, um, give us a fresh vision. And so it's no longer a vision, it's a reality. And next year we'll be having our global rooftop encounter, and God's already beginning to open doors. Um, it's just amazing to see how he's working to bring all of that together. Um, pray for us in the U.S., because the vision, part of this vision that God has given me is on that day, and I'll be meeting in a few weeks with some ministry leaders to begin formulating the strategy is on that same day, 10-10-2020, for our rooftop states to have a, a rooftop city encounter in every state capital. So that would be 50 simultaneous rooftop city encounters taking place 
covering the nation in prayer, every capital, state capital city, of pastors and churches and leaders coming together and say, God, send awakening to our lives and to our city and wake us up to the mission that, God, you have called us to do. Of course, we don't do any of this alone. God is raising up across America um, a, a great number of just rooftop awakening partners and who are standing with us and praying with us and standing with us financially. And if you want to know more about how you can become one of those partners, there's information on the display table as you leave today. Well, today what I want to talk to you is, is simply I want, to, I want to answer, help us answer this question or find out how God answers this question. Here's the question. How then shall we live? I want us to step back this morning and just take a look at our lives and ask ourselves the question, in light of the mission that God has given us, in light of the calling on our lives who are Christ followers, to be disciples who make disciples, how, how do we live? Because we need to understand that being on mission with Jesus doesn't just happen. It, it, takes, it takes focus. It takes a focus and a passion that, that wakes us up each morning and compels us to seize each day for His glory. And so we come to this question, how do we live? How do we live? In, in the past year, God keeps bringing me back to this passage in Romans 13. If you have your Bibles, we're going to have all the passages on the screen. But I encourage you to use your Bibles or use your um, phones and your tablets because you may want to take notes and underline some things. But about a year ago, God began just burning this verse in my spirit. Romans 13, 11, where Paul's writing the church and he says, Besides this, you know the time that the hour has come for you to wake from sleep. For salvation is nearer to us now than when we first believed. I love that passage. He says, Besides this, you know the time that the hour has come for you to wake from sleep. And I, and, and, and I started studying this passage and then... I pulled out the Amplified Bible translation. I love the Amplified Bible. It's a great Bible study tool. It's called the Amplified Bible because it basically what it does, it amplifies the text. Because the original Bible in New Testament is written in Greek, and we lose a lot when we start translating from Greek to English. So the Amplified Bible just kind of helps us understand the richness of what Paul is saying through the Greek. And this is how the Amplified says it. Besides this, you know what a critical hour this is. How many of you would agree that we are living in a critical hour today in the life of the church, the life of the nation? How it is high time now for you to wake up out of your sleep, rouse to reality for salvation, final deliverance is near to us now than when we first believed. And I love the fact that they amplified the word believe because believe in Scripture doesn't mean just this mental assent, but it's trusting in Christ, relying on Christ, adhering to Christ. Paul comes to the church and he says, listen, it's time for us to wake up because of the time that we live in today. One of my greatest concerns for us as Christians in the 21st century is that we're not careful. We get so caught up in life, just kind of just getting, getting through the day and, and living day by day that we, we, we have forgotten the, the magnitude of this mission that God's given us. We, we have forgotten how quickly time passes. We, we have forgotten that we're living in a critical hour spiritually in the life of our nation. I love coming to Anthem just to see how God is, is blessing and, and, and celebrating with you. And I love your worship. And it's, every time I talk to Rick, I say, tell me what God's doing. And he starts telling me all the things that God's doing through this church. 
but I also live in the daily reality as God is blessing churches like Anthem and other churches across our nation. Today there will be around 70 churches that will meet in the last time in their building. And they'll close the door and they'll never gather together again. About 70 churches a week close every week in the life of our nation. I think about the fact that um, there are so many of us, over 90% of us are telling us that, that know Christ and love Christ and come to church on Sunday, but over 90% of us rarely ever engage anyone else in a spiritual conversation, whether they're a believer or a non-believer. And after 2,000 years of being on mission with Jesus, the reality is there are still around 1 to 2 billion people in our world that has never even heard the name of Jesus doesn't have anyone like them to tell them about Jesus. And so one of the things that God is really speaking into my life these days is waking up to the reality in which we live and helping the church understand and once again come back to our identity, who we are. We are the family of God. Rick said earlier, we talked about being ambassadors for Christ. But we're the family of God. And we're on mission together for one purpose to be missionary servants. We're all called to be missionary servants. Jesus said, Holy Spirit is going to come upon you and you're going to be my witnesses to the whole world. Jesus said, I came not to be served, but to serve. And he calls us to go and serve as missionary servants to be disciples who make disciples. That's our mission. That's our identity. God leaves us here to be a family of God who goes on mission to tell others how they can be a part of the family. How they can know this Jesus that has radically changed our lives. So in light of that mission, how then shall we live our lives? Because as I read the Word of God, one of the things that God keeps showing me over and over again is how intentional the Christian life is. We should be the most purposeful, purpose-driven people on the face of this planet. People who live each day in light of who we are as followers of Christ. That we, we live with this healthy sense of urgency knowing that every day there are people all around us that desperately need Christ. And we're always looking, how do we make the best use of our time? Paul calls it in his writings, redeeming the time. Making the best use of the time because of the people around me. Um, I very rarely remember my dreams. Usually I know I wake up and I've dreamed, but I have no idea of what I've dreamed. I just have all these bits and pieces. But every now and then I'll have a dream that just... God really speaks into. About four weeks ago, I shared with Dennis the other day, um, our founder, Dennis Peathers. I said, Dennis, I've got to share with you this dream that God, God I, just, I had and just woke me up. And, here's, and, and it ties into this message because I remember in the dream, there were two young, young guys, young boys, probably early teenage years. And in the dream, I was sharing with them the gospel. And because they'd never heard the gospel. And I was sharing with them the gospel, and both of these young guys accepted Christ. And about the time they accepted Christ, somebody said in the dream, I remember this so clearly, somebody yelled the word bomb. And I spun around, and on the wall, I saw the bomb, and it was clicking down to zero. And when it hit zero, I woke up. And, and I just said, Lord, what was that about? And I just kind of listened because I knew, okay, God, you're trying to speak to me. And I just remember very clearly a few weeks ago, just in that early morning hours, God just saying, John, you need to remember that everybody's life has a countdown clock. And it's going to zero. 
And your life has a countdown clock, and it's going to zero. So you need to make use of the time and live every day in light of the countdown clock that's all around you. And I think that's what Paul meant when he said, live with that urgency, redeem the time. You know, living in light of the fact that, man, we have this incredible, incredible ministry that God's given us. So 1 Peter, take your Bibles. We're going to camp out this morning. Um, I love reading 1 Peter. And one of the reasons I love 1 Peter, um, I encourage you sometimes sit down and just read through 1 Peter. But read through 1 Peter with the background of remembering the story of Peter. Um, those of you who have never walked through the life of Peter, Peter was a disciple that had foot and mouth disease. Because he was constantly putting his foot in his mouth. Um, I mean, he's a disciple who, you know, when you read through his life, and you just see all of his blunders. Of course, he's one that denied Christ, you know, three times before the crucifixion. And, you know, and he just, he's the guy that walks out on water, you know. And, um, you know, and then, of course, he takes his eyes off of Christ and starts sinking in the water. Now, Peter just has this, you know, until Acts, when Peter stands up at Pentecost and really takes the lead as the, the leader um, filled with the Spirit and preaches that incredible message. I mean, Peter's life is just all over the place. And so as you read First Peter, you'll, you'll see, you know, it's funny just to hear Peter say some of the things he does. But this letter is so powerful. It's written to Christians who have been scattered all over Asia Minor and the known world because of persecution. They're now exiles or now refugees. They're living in other countries. So he's writing a letter to encourage these people who have been so persecuted, basically to help them stand strong in the midst of that persecution and understand how do you now live in light of the fact that you are no longer in your country and because of persecution you've been scattered all over Asia Minor. Now we can identify with that to a degree, because of the fact we need to understand as the family of God and as the church of Christ that this world is not our home, and in many ways we are exiles. The Bible talks about we're exiles, we're sojourners, we're pilgrims, we're strangers, that this world is not our home, that our citizenship is now in heaven. And God leads us here to tell others about how they can become a part of the family. And, and so you know, and you see that through Scripture over and over again. You read through Hebrews and Hebrews 11, that great story of the, the heroes of our faith like Abraham and Moses and Gideon and Deborah and all of those. And it says in verses 13 through 16 that, that they acknowledge that they were strangers and exiles on the earth. And I love this. Just listen to this. For people who speak that way make it clear that they're seeking a homeland. If they had been thinking of that land from which they had gone out, they'd have had opportunity to return. But as it is, they desire a better country, a heavenly one. Therefore, God's not ashamed to call to be their God, for He has prepared for them a city. And, and, and so all through Scripture, you see the fact that, that, that God's people are a people on pilgrimage. Um, we're heading to a, a, a different place, a heavenly city. That's our home. And so Peter comes along and he writes this letter to everybody whose heart is set on that journey with God. To be light in the midst of darkness. To be disciples who make disciples in a land that is not our own. In a culture that would rather be in dark than be in the light. But yet he says, I want you to be the light of the world that goes into that darkness. Into the hopelessness. Into the brokenness of a culture that needs Jesus. And I want you to be the ones that speak light and hope and mercy and grace. In the midst of a world that is hungering for all of that. They're looking for it. And God says, I want you to speak into it. But, but that doesn't just happen. It happens on purpose. 
And Peter understood that. So beginning in verse 13, look at what Peter says. 1 Peter 1.13 Therefore, preparing your minds for action and being sober-minded, set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. And we're just going to walk through this one phrase at a time. He starts out by saying, prepare your minds for action. Now literally, if you have an older translation, it'll say, gird up the loins of your mind which to a first century audience may complete sense. To a 21st century audience, we look at that and go, what in the world is he talking about? Gird up the loins. We kind of start figuring out, maybe we know what that is, but then he does this, your mind. I mean, he throws the mind in there, and then you're really thrown off. Well, the first century, they understood what that was all about because in the first century, men dressed in these tunics that would go down below their knees, usually to their ankles, And if you're trying to run or fight or work with something like a tunic that goes down to your ankles, it's very difficult because all that gets in your way as you're trying to work. So they would gird up the loins. They would just take up the loose ends of their tunic and they would begin to tie them up and often they would put them under their belt, which they called, what do you think they called it? They called it a girdle. That's gird up the loins. It became... Eventually, that phrase, when you heard that phrase in the first century, when somebody said, hey, gird up your loins, it became the metaphor for get ready, <laughs> prepare for action, get ready to fight, get ready to work, get ready to go. Um, and so that was a very common phrase. And so, so Peter comes along and he says, listen, I want you to prepare your minds for action. And he's saying, what he's telling us there is I want you to live with a sense of urgency. And all the things in your life, all those things that hinder you, tie them up. Everything that's, that's all the loose strings, everything that has the potential of tripping you up, tie those things up, get them out of the way, prepare for action. Gird up the loins of your mind. We're going to talk about the mind part of that in a minute. It's very similar to what the writer of Hebrews says in Hebrews 12.1 when he says, Therefore, since we're surrounded by such a great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which clings so easily to us. And let's run with endurance the race that is set before us. It's that same thought of that we, we go through life and we get rid of the clutter. We get rid of the doubtful habits. We get rid of the attitudes that might weigh us down like bitterness or unforgiveness or anger or worry. Anything that would weigh us down, the sin which trips us up that we need to confess and get rid of so that we can run this race that is a difficult race. By the way, the word for race there is the same word that we get the word agony from. So he's saying this is a tough race, so you lay aside the weight. Peter says you, you gird up the loins of your mind. You live each day in this reality. And if we're going to be joining Jesus in his mission, we have to live each day in this reality. We have to wake up each day, one, realizing we wake up in a mission field. It, 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 just, it just drives me crazy when I hear people say, okay, let's go to the mission field. And I'm going, you don't have to go to the mission field. You wake up every morning in the mission field. I mean, you wake up in the mission field. You go to work in it. You live in it. Your neighborhood is your mission field. Wherever you go is your mission field. We don't, we don't go to the mission field, but we have to live in that reality. I wake up every day in a mission field, surrounded by people where I live, work, and play that need to hear about Jesus. But we also have to get into the reality, and this is where as Christians we've, we've kind of let this part slip. We also wake up in a battlefield. The Scripture is very clear. There is an enemy out there. Jesus said he wants to steal, kill, and destroy. 
that wants to mess us up, that wants to get us distracted, that wants to throw life at us and get us off mission and get us off track. And, and so we have, to, we have to learn to be focused. We've got to be tuned into the voice of God so that we don't miss His whispers. We don't miss His promptings. So we're ready to join Him, prepared for action. So when He says, listen, I need you to say something to that person that works next to you today. They need, they need to hear about me. And we go, is that God speaking? Is that me speaking? I mean, we go through that. But we've got to be ready so when God speaks, we know, hey, I'm ready to join him. But again, it doesn't happen. This is a decisive act, something that I believe has to take place every morning from the time we wake up. And so let me give you some real practical things. Some of these things, the things that I do, things that will help you. How, do you. how do you get ready? How does this look like in real life? Well, first of all, you consecrate yourself before you get out of bed, which basically means before you even get out of bed in the morning, before your feet hit the floor, as you wake up and your mind starts racing to all your to-do list, you just stop and take all that captive and say, Lord, I give myself to you today. This is your day. I'm yours. I just consecrate and set myself apart for you to use me today. And then the second thing, and this is the tough one, and this is avoid looking at your phone before you look at his word. Because most of us use our phone as our alarm clock, many of us. We live on our phone. Our life is on our phones. The temptation is you wake up in the morning and, hey, I've got to open my phone because, man, somebody may have Snapchatted me during the night. Somebody may have texted me. And there may be an email. And we want to, we want to see. And what I tell people all the time is, hey, don't do that. Because as soon as you do that, you're letting the world begin to rush in at the very beginning of your day. I know one guy, I was listening to him a few months ago, and he says, I, I purposely keep my phone in the kitchen. <laughs> so when I wake up, it's not even in my bedroom. He said, because the temptation is so strong to want to open it and look at it. And so you avoid, you avoid looking at your phone before you look at his word, and you let the scriptures and the gospel speak into your life first thing each morning. Now here's how that looks for me. What I do is, yes, I do have my phone next to my bed. It is my alarm clock. And when it does go off, I do open it, but I only open it to go to one place every morning, and I go to the YouVersion Bible app on my phone. And I look at the verse of the day. And as I'm brushing my teeth and getting ready, I'm thinking about the verse of the day. And then there's something else I started doing that really helped me. A few months ago, about really several years ago, um, I was introduced to what's called now the four G's. It's four truths about God and how I should live in light of those four truths. And so I have those on my bathroom wall. I have them on my office wall. So I see them all the time. But these are the four truths. We call them the four G's of the gospel. And if you ever understand these four and get them into the core of your being, man, they help you stay focused. And I have copies of this on the, on the display table, so if you want to get a copy so you don't have to write these down. But I want us to say these out loud, each of them, because they're so powerful. Let's do the first one. You ready? God is great. Let's try it again. We're going to say it out loud. That means I speak and you speak at the same time. I know that's tough for some of us. It's still early. Ready? God is great, so I don't have to be in control is that understanding every day, my God is great, He's in control, He is sovereign, I don't have to worry. Because see, when I'm worrying, I'm trying to be in control. When you're anxious about something, you're trying to be in control. So it's that, 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 that reminder, I don't have to be in control. 
My God's great. Let's do the second one. Ready? God is glorious, so I don't have to fear others. My God's glorious. He's the King of kings. He's the Lord of lords. He's on the throne. He's my mighty warrior. He's my defender. He's my shield. So I don't have to fear anything that comes against me. And then I I love the third one. Ready? God is good, so I don't have to look elsewhere for my satisfaction. God's a source of my peace, my joy, my security. He's a good father. He's a good father. He loves me. He's good. I don't have to look elsewhere for anything. And then that last one. Ready? God is gracious, so I don't have to prove myself. I don't have to prove myself to myself, to God, or to anyone else, because my God's a God of grace. He loves me just as I am. He's accepted me just as I am, and He's created me to be who I am in Him. And so I'll, start, I'll just start reciting those and chewing on those first thing in the morning just to get my mind recalibrated for the day. And then the last thing is spend at least 15 minutes a day in the Word. If you're not already having a time with God in the morning or at night, I always recommend first thing in the morning for most people. But, but at least 15 minutes in the Word, spending time with God, you're preparing your mind for action, recalibrating your mind for the day so you can join Jesus in His mission. And then Peter goes on to say, he says, listen, I also want you to be sober-minded. Now, what does he mean when he says be sober-minded? It just simply means this, be clear-headed. The best way to explain it is, is don't be intoxicated by the things of the world, the things of the flesh. Don't let that have the massive, major influence in your life each day. Instead, we need to do what Paul tells us to do in Ephesians 5 when he says to us, don't be drunk with wine, but be filled with with the Spirit. And being filled with the Spirit doesn't mean that you get more of the Spirit because when you come to Christ as your Lord and Savior, the Holy Spirit comes to live in you and take up residence in you and you get all of Him. Being filled with the Spirit means that I'm walking in the power and influence of the Spirit because I've abandoned my life to Him. He's got all of me. He's got more of me. Because I want to be set apart for Him in my life each and every day. So it's giving Him full control. Having our spiritual wits about us. Just being clear-headed. Not letting the world and the flesh and the enemy overwhelm us and intoxicate us. And then I love this. Peter says, set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. He's talking about the second coming, the return of Christ. And and basically what Peter's saying there is living each day in that hope and the expectation that one day he's coming back. That one day he's coming back. One of my favorite verses in the Bible is toward the end of Revelation when God says, I am making all things new. One day he's coming back. And we live in that hope. We live in that hope. We set our hope fully on that grace that's going to be brought to us. When Christ comes back and we live in that expectation each and every day, setting our hope on that promise because that's what gets us through the day. As we're going through the difficulties and the, and the depression and the issues and life is just gets tough and we, 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 we survive and we make it through and overcome because our hope is set fully on the fact that one day he's coming back to take us out of this. But until then, he's going to give me the strength to make it through. Remember, Peter's writing again to exiles, people who are being persecuted. They're scattered. 
But then Peter goes on to say this, and I want to read this, and I'm going to kind of just give you a few pointers. He says, beginning in verse 14, as obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance, but as he who called you is holy, so you also be holy in all your conduct. Since it's written, you shall be holy, for I am holy. And if you call on him as father, who judges impartially according to each one's deeds, conduct yourselves with fear throughout the time of your exile. Let me just pull out a few things out of that. because There's a lot of richness in that. First of all, what he says to us is this. He says, listen, don't be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance. What he's saying there is this. When, when, when following Christ gets tough, when it really gets hard to be obedient and follow Jesus and join him on his mission, don't slip back to the way you used to live. Don't fall into the temptation of slipping back. For those of us who are Christ followers, it may be, let me put it this way. You start joining Jesus in your mission. You start moving beyond the walls, man. You start talking to your friends and family about Jesus. You start making disciples. Well, as soon as you start doing that, you know what's going to happen. The enemy is going to come against you to try to discourage you and stop you. And that's when the temptation comes. Man, it was just so much easier to come and just find a seat on Sunday morning and just have my hour. And Peter says, don't go there. Don't slip back to the old ways. You stay focused. And in all your conduct, in all your life, be holy as He is holy. Now let's talk about being holy for a minute. Man, there are so many people who have some really messed up ideas of what that means. And it's so simple. The word holy just simply means be set apart. Live a life that's distinct. That's different, not weird. Oh, please. We have enough weird Christians. We don't need any more weird Christians. Because some people, man, they take this holiness thing and it's like, what? You know, but it's just being distinct. You know, what, what made Jesus so attractive? He was just so distinct. People were just attracted to him. There's something in him. And, and, and we need to live lives that are so distinct that, that our lives attract people to Jesus. Because the way we live our lives and the way we handle crises, the way we handle conflict, the way we choose to entertain ourselves, the way we just live our lives, the way we, we love our spouses and love our kids. And the world looks at that and says, man, there's something in there as we're living a life that's showing the world, this is what it looks like when Jesus changes you. Paul talks about in his writings about we, 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 we have the fragrance of Christ around us. And, and, and it's that whole concept, man, I'm just walking so close to Jesus and I'm living this life that's set apart for Him that's distinct because I'm, 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 I'm living life like He wants me to live life. And when people get close to me, they just get a whiff of Jesus. This is who Jesus is like. You know, and, that, and that's what Peter means when he says, listen, I just want you to, to be holy, be set apart. You're inviting God's presence into everything you do. And you're walking and you're talking and the way you live life, in your conversations and you're sleeping. In every part of life, you're just inviting God's presence in and saying, listen, I just want to be set apart and live a life that is so distinct that people come and say, listen, there's something different about you. What is it? Because I need what you have. And we live those kind of lives that are set apart. And then he says, as you do that, do so with fear. Now, what's he talking about there? Well, he's talking about the fear of the Lord, another concept that a lot of people misunderstand. Because so many of us, um, you know, it, it, it is, 
It is living life each day knowing that, man, I serve an awesome God whose ways are above my ways, whose thoughts are above my thoughts. He is holy, holy, holy. But it's a fear that talks about the reverence of God, the awe of who He is. It's not this unhealthy fear that makes us go about scared that God's going to get us if we do something wrong. How many of you remember the game? It's still out there, I think, in a lot of the children's places called Whack-A-Mole. Here we have whack-a-mole, you know, you have little moles pop up and you try and hit them with a hammer. I think a lot of people go through life thinking God's got this huge cosmic whack-a-mole game. And every time that we pop our heads up and do something wrong, he whacks us. And they walk in this fear that God's going to whack me today if, if I mess up. That's not what he's talking about. In reality, it's, 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 it's understanding. You know, it's interesting here that Peter, when he talks about the fact, he says in verse, he talks about the fact in verse 17, if you call on him as father who judges impartially. I think it's interesting he uses the word father there, not judge. Because Peter wants to remind us, he wants to remind us, yes, God will hold us accountable for how we live our life for him, our works. But he's a father who loves us. He delights in us. He sings over us, the Bible says. I said that a few weeks ago, and a guy said to me, he said, man, can you imagine what that must sound like, God singing over you? He's an awesome God. In many ways, the fear of the Lord is more of a fear of, 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 of grieving Him who loves me so much. One writer said it's almost a fear of our own weakness and sin, that we have such love and awe and respect for this God who loves us so much that the last thing we want to do is grieve Him and disobey Him. We want to honor Him and please Him and walk with Him. And, and as we come to understand how good and gracious He is, man, we just want to, we want to walk with Him. And it's that fear that drives us to our knees every day and says, God, oh, I need you because I can't do this in my strength. And we walk in that, that reverence and all that says, God, I just want to please you in everything I do. Because we live, as Peter says in verse 18, knowing that we've been ransomed from the futile, the empty ways inherited from our fathers, not with perishable things such as silver and gold, but with the precious blood of Christ, like that of a lamb without blemish or spot. We live in that idea every day, and we sang about it this morning. We've been redeemed, folks. We've been set free. We've been delivered. We've been rescued. By a loving Father, and He didn't rescue us and redeem us with things that will eventually fade away and are perishable like silver and gold. But we've been redeemed with the precious blood of Christ. And all of our sins have been washed away. We sang about it as far as the east is from the west. And we live in that joy, that knowing that, man, we live as redeemed. So how do we live our life? We live our life with a sense of purpose, a sense of urgency. Knowing that, man, there are people that need Jesus. And every day I'm on this mission it's an exciting mission. I live in the expectation that one day he's coming back. And I want to tell as many people as I can about him before he comes back. It's living in that, that every day just saying, Lord, I want to be set apart for you. Wherever I go, I just want to be set apart for you. I want to be intentional. I have, I have some friends. As a matter of fact, Bill serves on our board. And I love Bill and his wife, Lynette. And, and when they go to the grocery store, they purposely choose to get the same cashier every time. Even if they have to stand in line and there are shorter lines, they will stand on a longer line instead of using self-service or anything else just to see her. Because what they're doing is they're building a relationship with her. Intentional, purposeful, getting to know her and beginning to be able to speak into her life. 
It's building that relationship. It's, it's living lives that are distinct, that attract people to Jesus. We invite God's presence into all the rhythms of life. We just live on mission with Him, with this desire to please Him in all that we do because we love Him so much, because all that He has done for us. That's how we live life. That's how we live life on mission. That's how Jesus lived life. That's how Peter and Paul lived their lives. Now, here's the really good news. All that Peter says that we need to be doing, you don't have to do in your own strength. Because reality is none of us can in our own strength. We try to do any of this in the flesh, we're going to fall flat on our faces. Man, we have, we, God's got to do this. And Peter understood that. And it's almost like when Peter writes his second letter, <laughs> it's almost like he's thinking, you know, that first letter, man, I laid a lot of stuff on those people. And they're probably thinking, Peter... Man, how are we going to do that? So when he begins his second letter in verses 3 and 4, this is the Passion Translation, and I love the Passion Translation. But this is what he says. Go back to the verse 3, the screen before that. This is, this is how it starts. Everything we could ever need for life and complete devotion to God has already been deposited in us by His divine power. For all this was lavished upon us through the rich experience of knowing Him who has called us by name and invited us to come to Him through a glorious manifestation of His goodness. As a result of this, He has given you magnificent promises that are beyond all price so that through the power of these tremendous promises, you can experience partnership with the divine nature by which you have escaped the corrupt desires that are of the world. Here's what Peter says as he begins his second letter. Hey, everything you need to do what God's calling you to do, He has given you. Everything you need to live a life of godliness and holiness and be set apart, He's given you. He's deposited that into you. It's called the Holy Spirit. Everything you need. And He's given you these incredible promises. And when you walk in these promises and claim these promises, there's thousands of them in Scripture. What you're doing, you are, you are claiming the power of God in your life to give you what you need to do what He's called you to do. So when the, the fear begins to step in and the intimidation and the insecurity, you immediately remember Isaiah 41.10. Wait a minute. My God says, do not fear. I am your God. Do not be dismayed. I am with you. I will strengthen you. I will help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. Now, I love that verse. Now, the verse I really love is three verses later in verse 13 when he says, Hey, fear not, I am the Lord your God. I am holding you by your right hand. Do not fear. And you start remembering these promises that he's given us, and we begin walking through these promises. So how do we live? God's called us on mission. It's an awesome mission. To join Jesus every day in what he's already doing. So you don't, you don't even have to come up with what to do. Jesus just says, I'm already doing it around you, where you work, in your house, in your neighborhood. You just need to be sensitive to me, and I will, I will tell you where, where we need to go together today. All I want you to do is prepare your mind for action. All I want you to do is don't, don't let the world intoxicate you. You just walk in my spirit. Live in my spirit. Be distinct. Just walk in the promises I've given you. Stay close to me. Spend time with me. Fill your mind with the Word. And then he says, basically, and you don't have to do any of this on your own. You join Jesus in His strength, in His power, in His mind. Because he says, everything you need, 
Peter tells us, God's already given it to you. He's deposited it into your life by the Holy Spirit. You just have to go. My challenge to you, because I see so many Christians do this, we, we tend to just go through life living this whatever will be will be life. I want to challenge you. If you are a follower of Christ, just say today, God, I want to be intentional. Man, this week, help me to wake up in the morning. <laughs> help me not to look at this first. <laughs> help me to look at you first. Help me to be sensitive. Help me to understand how to live distinct. I just want, I just want to be on purpose. I want to be on mission with you. And he'll give everything you need. If you just say, man, I just want to be set apart. Because to join Jesus means we have to be set apart. We have to be focused. Because we're on a mission, folks. And it impacts eternity. And it's exciting. And if you don't know Christ, listen, you're not here by accident today. Jesus wants to come into your life and everything we sung about, He wants to do in your life. Everything we've read about, He wants to do in your life. Man, He, he wants to set you free from all the chains that are messing your life up, whatever they may be. Whatever you're facing, I'm here to let you know, God can fix it. God can set you free. God can break the chains. I serve on the board of directors for Teen Challenge in Hickory. I watch God do it all the time with people who come into our program addicted to drugs and alcohol. And three months later, I, I, I run into them when I'm visiting. And it's like a whole new person <laughs> because Jesus has set them free. That's where we're at in our world. We have a world that just hungers for Jesus. We have the message. And if you don't know Christ, don't you leave here today without talking to someone and saying, listen, I just want to know more about this Jesus that y'all keep talking about and singing about. And I know about him, but I don't, I don't know him. How does that happen? Because we'd love to talk to you. Let's just pray together. Close your eyes. Father, Lord, we just come right now with our eyes closed to focus on you, not to be distracted. Um, Father, we just come just to say, Lord, we love you. Father, you've called us to an incredible, incredible life, an incredible mission. Every day we get to join you, Jesus, in touching those around us. Sometimes it may be with a simple prayer, praying for them. Sometimes it may be that opportunity to sit down and really just pour into their life the gospel. But every day we have the opportunity to join you in, in changing the lives of those around us as you're speaking into their lives. And that's exciting. But Lord, we know that God, this, this life you've called us to live doesn't just happen. And we want to live intentional. Man, we want to live on purpose. And so God, help us. Thank you for promising that, God, we don't have to do this in our strength. We can do it in your strength. So right now, as your head is bowed, and it's just you and God there in that seat, I just want to encourage you, for a follower of Christ, just right now to say, Lord, help me this week to live life on purpose. Help me to be set apart. Help me to begin each day looking to you first. Lord, I set myself apart for you this week, beginning this day.
Again, if you don't know Christ, He loves you. He gave His life for you. He gave His life to set you free from sin and death and the grave. And, and you're not here by accident today. You're here because He wants you to know that He wants to have a relationship with you. So don't leave her today without talking to someone. Father, we just come today and God pray and he, I just pray that you'd work in each of our lives. We're all in different places in our Christian faith. And God, we have some friends that are here who, man, they're still on that journey of getting to know you and, and they have questions and God, just help us to answer the questions and be there for them. But Father, today we just come to thank you that you've called us, that we are children that we're your family. We thank you that, that, that you have, man, just completely set us free. And that we can walk in that freedom daily in a world that is so in bondage. And we can speak life and speak freedom into other people's lives. So help us to live intentional. Help us to worship intentionally. Help us to praise you intentionally each day. And to go to our workplaces and our neighborhoods and schools and wherever we go, understand that we're on this mission field. And you want to use us in some incredible ways for your glory. So help us to be a set-apart people. I thank you for what you're doing in this church. I pray your anointing on Pastor Rick. I pray your anointing on this people to use them to turn this city and this entire community upside down for you as they just live distinct lives that just make people hunger to know you more and more each day. Thank you for this time to come. Thank you for this time to worship. Thank you, Father, for just loving us in so, so many ways. We just love you and give you all the glory and all the praise. In Jesus' name, amen.